everyone knows that confidence is everything. You simply won't get far without it. And it's not only in football, but with anything else in life. It's why Penske gives you as much confidence as possible when you're moving. How does Penske do that? They do it by offering newer, cleaner, and safer trucks so that whether you're moving across the country or even just across town, Penske Truck Rental will help you move with confidence. So check them out so that you can get the newest, cleanest, and safest trucks to help you move at Penske Truck Rental. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Week two in the books. We are back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, uh, our thanks to each and every one of you who have been uh, part of the loyal listener group. We are growing fast. Uh, we have really appreciated the comments. We've really appreciated the support. And uh, and this is – it makes uh, getting back together here on Sundays for this instant recap a lot of fun, Barton, because uh, we know that people like it. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a people pleaser. I can't help it. It's part of my, it's part of my DNA. We did not do we, – yeah, we didn't do this last year. We kind of – we waited till like mid-Monday or something to do these usually. And, uh, and that was a mistake on our part last year. Uh, people want the goods day after as well they should. So I think it's uh, – this has been fun. Get, get these recaps rolling. And, you know, excuse me if the, if the sleep is in my eyes a little bit today. Uh, late night staying up and watching every last ounce of the Arizona State-Michigan State game. Uh, it was a fun one, and uh, felt like it, <laughs> it felt like it would never end. Uh, but but here we are. It's 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 time to time to recap it. And maybe if you were in a position where you were looking for an over to hit, you were going for an overtime miracle, right? You know what was the total on that one? It, I'm sure it wasn't close. Fifty five sure for about five overtime. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got it. I was sitting here. I was like, okay, so if we go to overtime at twenty six, probably not going to get it. But if were we you on go, that over? But if we go to overtime at forty, at twenty <laughs> to twenty. I mean, buddy, you don't run some fast arithmetic like when you're trying to sweat an over and thinking about the pick sixes that are going to be required to get that done. Oh, those are the worst because you can you you keep on convincing yourself that it's possible and it's not possible. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, re- I mean, and I had to stay up because we were going to be, uh, you know, closing up shop on the closing up shop on the on the side of things with with the top tw- tomorrow's top twenty five today, all the end of day wrap up stuff. I if if I was in another position and not this profession, I would have just closed the bed and hung my L uh, above the bed, but. Yeah, I had to sit back and <laughs> hey, but hey, good for Herm Edwards, right? In that, it, when you say that Herm Edwards has to be one of like the biggest, we're not going to do winners and losers specifically on this uh, podcast. But when you say that they are uh, one of the biggest winners of the weekend, yeah. So I, I, you know, we didn't really talk about where we were going to start on this discussion, uh, but sure. I mean, as good a place as any is to start with old Herm, and I think. What, what the, like one of my takeaways from that game was, look, ultimately college football is still largely about motivation. It's still largely about who plays hard and who plays disciplined. 
And all the people that were laughing at the Herm Edwards hire, and again, we were laughing at it too. Yes. But also, in, in our defense, we had very much circled back around before this week into this, you know, I think Arizona State's got a chance to be a good team this year. But they played hard, man. Like, they played, like, and he he, he had them motivated. He had them playing hard. Week week one, there was a lot of uh, penalties issues. Cleaned things up a little bit more against Michigan State. Um and, and this doesn't answer whether he's going to be have it all figured out on the recruiting trail. It doesn't answer whether he's going to have it all figured out from the player development side or just running a college program. But in terms of the product that they're going to be able to put on the field at Arizona State, like that's, I think he answered some real questions with the game. Look, it was a night game at home on a, on a, at, at you know 2 a.m. for Michigan State's body clock. Uh, but at the same time, it was I think it was a compelling and encouraging game for Arizona State and 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 hey they they went and won beat a team that some people had you know playing for a Big Ten East title so I was holding my breath when I realized this was going to come down to clock management and like you know call it like run it they were uh they were in the victory formation they were gonna call a timeout with uh I guess four seconds left and they they had lined everything up and they had committed themselves that instead of uh potentially the chess match of Michigan State allowing them to score so they could get one more shot. Uh, they were just going to sit on this thing and settle for a field goal. I was holding my breath, man. I just I was sure that based on all of the uh, based on all the jokes that had been let go by based on all the you know conversation regarding Herm Edwards and his his limited time in college as a coach and the differences between college football and the NFL. I was like, man. This might come down to some clock management error or a procedural or a sideline issue. But not only credit to Herm Edwards, but credit to his staff, which was obviously, you know, a huge part of this as well. They uh they they pulled it off. And I, I cannot say that as the, the time was winding down there in the final minute or minute and a half, I was not expecting that we might see some uh some evidence of a what, sixty two year old coach who hasn't been in college in a while, and we didn't. Yeah, and I'll say that like, and and I was sitting there with, you know, I had played the Michigan State minus six, and look, there was a lot of moments in that game where I thought that could hit, uh, but as that game progressed, and and they just kept on missing opportunities to go and score, I, you just knew that like Nikhil Harry at some point was just going to get loose. Yeah, and he did, and 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 I'll say this about Michigan State, like that's a team. That feels to me a little bit like Arkansas in like twenty what sixteen, when Arkansas just started throwing it around like forty times a game, and and you and you wondering, what, I thought this was supposed to be the Smash Mouth Brett Bielema, you know, that you know their their run game is their identity, their offensive line is their identity team, and and Michigan State, as as much as I like Brian Lewerke, it just it it feels like a little bit like they're just sort of starting to involuntarily get sucked into the temptation of being this pass happy team. Now maybe that's because they can't run on anybody and their offensive right. line is the problem. And maybe it's because LJ Scott got hurt, but he hadn't looked that impressive when he was in, when he was healthy. I just, I worry a little bit about Michigan State's, you know, even with all the injuries that are starting to pile up, I, I worry if a little bit that they're losing the identity of, of that sort of hard nosed offensive program and I wonder how you know whether they'll be able to get that back once you know once the the Big Ten 
schedule starts really hitting. So on the Michigan State side, do you feel like you had any uh, any questions answered for the Spartans? I don't know. I mean, I, no. You coming I mean, out with I, more I mean, questions? The, I, I yeah. I think you yeah. I think you leave with more questions. I mean, I, look, I, I they were again. I mean, they almost lost to Utah State. Utah State went out and cruised and crushed New Mexico State. I think Utah State's a better team than people realize. Said that last week. Uh, I, you know, so their defense stepped up, played better. I guess and that on that end, like you. You know, you can answer that question, but I don't know that I, I ever doubted that their defense would would be better than they were last week. Um, I just think this is, you know, we're gonna have to. Is this a team that grinds its way into ten and two again, or is this a team that just sort of slinks back to seven and five? I, I don't, I don't think we know that yet. And Michigan State's always such a hard team to pre- project and predict so i i don't know what to think of them right now see i i came out of that with evidence uh with data point number two uh providing some amount of certainty for me to feel confident saying that michigan state's offensive line is a weak point and that yeah. ryan lewerke that uh, is is much better you know that's that's one where i was like okay i i probably i was not as high on brian lewerke as you were but i'm willing to come out of the arizona state loss and i'm, I'm coming out with higher marks for brian lewerke but a lot of that is paired with the idea that because of the offensive line and because they uh they they don't have i mean they just don't have much of a an impressive or an intimidating running game at all and if that's going to be the case I thought I think your Arkansas call is great, but it is very much against the identity of the way that Michigan State has won. And you know, not every team uh, is going to try. Is like I, it is easy to get sucked into the the pass happy back and forth, particularly I think when you're just out there in Tempe and it's playing like that. But I wonder what it's going to look like when Michigan State gets into some of those cold, rainy rock fights where it's just gray outside, and they've usually been able to lean on, what was it, Jack Allen? I mean, they've, yeah. they've, they've had... All, all the Allens. All the Allens. They've had some great <laughs> offensive linemen, and right now I just don't feel like that's a strength of that team at all. And you mentioned you know, L.J. Scott being a little bit banged up, and, and again, I, I still maintain that we just have been mentioning L.J. Scott's name because we know it. Uh I was all right. So what's that guy? So was was Connor Hayward? Was he a quarterback in high school? Uh, yeah, that sounds familiar. I don't. I don't. I, I don't want to. I don't remember the specific. That sounds familiar. But when Lewerke was lined up there with Hayward in the game, six foot, two hundred twenty nine pounds, and he wears number eleven. So maybe that's part of his well. But I was like, are they running some kind of wildcat right now? Like, is this Hayward's been like Hayward has been more. Uh, impressive to me when he when he gets the football than, than L.J. Scott. Agreed. I agree. Now, now L.J. Scott, look, he he was at, by the end of that game he was wearing street clothes. I think like he was he got injured and but I like I, I at one point I was thinking L.J. Scott's going to get drafted next fall in the late rounds and I'm going to wonder why. Like I'm not going to get it. Um, now maybe he won't get drafted. So maybe that's maybe you know just everyone's overhyped him along the way. But yes, I, I am. I'm kind of off the L.J. Scott train, and but I think more specifically to your point, the big question for Michigan State is offensive line just doesn't look good. Yeah, doesn't look good at all. All right, so what's Arizona State ceiling? South. You think so? That's their ceiling. 
realistically, who can they not beat in South? Let's take it to let, let's 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 take this game to USC Stanford. Yeah. Um. Look, I I I did say before the season. Remember, I had USC in the playoffs and whatever. They. I did whoa. say. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to have a little bit more accountability here than I said but, no, USC in the playoff, whatever. Okay, okay, go I on. I said they, as long as they go 2-1 and one in their first three games, I'm still I'm riding with my pick. They lost to Stanford at Stanford, and as long as they beat Texas next week Which, in Austin. You know? Toss up, they could. It I mean, is a toss up. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, well, shoot, they should be favored. I would hope. I mean, shoot, Texas barely beat Tulsa. Um, as long as they, as long as they start the season two and one, USC still has, I think, plenty of time to sort of hit a stride. And and but, but, but my point is, look, again, I'm not routing them, writing them off for anything after a loss at Stanford. But my point in 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 starting there is. They didn't look like an elite team. They haven't for two weeks now. There's something missing at USC right now. Whether they, they catch fire, I think it's very plausible. But right now, whether it's injuries, whether it's just continuity with a, with a true freshman quarterback that didn't enroll until the summer, I don't know. It's just it doesn't look smooth right now. They don't look as fast as I think their athleticism mm. provides they should be. They just – it's just – they're not like they don't look like that Arizona State team, like the the way they're the energy they're playing with to me. And so, um, I don't like. And my point in saying all that is Arizona State could beat USC, and uh, you know USC could certainly still win the South. But I, I don't have any sort of level of high confidence that they will. Um, and hey, Stanford when it took care of business, and 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 maybe they're the maybe they're the Pac-12 dark horse to watch. See, I came away with no answers for Stanford. It felt like David Shaw had uh, David Shaw is the the person you play. Did you you play a lot of ping pong either like now or growing up? Love love ping pong. Okay, you know uh, the opponent who just returns everything but has yes. no winners. He's just a I brick hate, wall. I hate those guys. Yeah. Yes. That's Dave, that was David Shaw in that game. He was like, no, I'm just I'm going to return everything they have. We're not going to do anything fancy. And I have figured out that if I just sit here and just, just feed them right back to them, USC does not have its act together enough right now to win this game. Yeah, that's a great – I think that's a great comparison because USC doesn't have the patience to just keep returning. They're going to try to hit that slam ball. That's like me. I got <laughs> yes. every, every, every second shot, I'm trying to freaking finish it. And – uh and when you hit that good one, man, it looks good. But, you know, you're hitting every other one into the net. And so uh, I, I think that's a great comparison. Like, I, look, uh, to me, though, I think the the thing that I took from that game that's positive for Stanford is USC had 114 yards rushing. Like, I don't know why it's USC. I guess, again, we're talking offensive line, I guess. But, to, again – I mean, they've got talents. Oh, I love Stephen Carr. I guess he's he's a little bit banged up, but he got a decent workload last night. Yeah, I mean, that fifty-two yards rushing for him. I mean, Cedric Ware, fifty-nine yards, one hundred fourteen yards rushing total. Um, 
I just think that's like when I look at this game, that's where I'm encouraged by Stanford. It's like, all right, if this Stanford defense is going to really create problems for other teams regularly like this, get a couple picks, uh, limit the run game, uh, that that to me, like I've, I'm confident in what like what you said about Stanford's offense is just doing what it has to do to win games. And if that means Bryce Love running for 300, he'll do it. But it also, you know, they're perfectly capable of just throwing to Colby Parkinson, Caden Smith, you know, seven or eight times and and, and moving the ball that way. Uh, so the the defense to me answered some questions at Stanford and and start starts to make me feel better about what they're you know, what their ceiling could be. Yeah, Bryce Love, uh, 22 carries, 136 yards, one touchdown. You take away his 59-yard run. I mean, just uh, about three and a half, four yards per carry. No, nothing outstanding. But I guess I guess that in fairness to Bryce Love, that's that's why you're Bryce Love, because of the potential that if you run it 22 times, one of them's going to be a 60-yard gain. Yeah. Hey, I handed out that Bryce Love under – on uh, rushing yards this year, hope hope somebody took it because that's that, that's going to hit. That was such a that was such a specific prop. It was that one of those props <laughs> that you found on the emails that that landed in our inbox. I didn't even I didn't even put a number on it. I just said I think I said he'll he'll rush for sixteen hundred yards or something, and I think the number was nineteen hundred. So I I just said I just said take the under whatever it is. That was my bold prediction for uh for for, for the Pac twelve. All right, let's uh, let's head on over to the the SEC on CBS game of the week uh, from Columbia. I I caught some flack uh, for some comments that I, in a in a piece that I wrote uh, for CBS Sports, and I, I want to test this to you because I might have been wrong. Just in in the you know full mix of you know, all the action as, as we're bouncing around and as we're trying to piece together the themes and the storylines from the day, I felt like until about mid third quarter, maybe early third quarter, but at least through the first half, I did not think that Georgia was cruising. I thought that when South Carolina had an initial response um, and then, you know, was able to tighten up on defense a little bit and just force field goals after going down 14 nothing early, I, I thought that the Gamecocks were still in a position that they could win this game. Now, obviously, the, this, uh, these, these comments are coming from Georgia fans who would like to believe that the narrative is that they just blew out South Carolina from the first moment. Do you feel like that was the case? No, like I, I, I think what was impressive about Georgia's performance was that it did feel close for a half. It did feel like this was this was a game. You know, Georgia was in control from you know, the opening kick and the opening play, obviously. But to me, what was impressive about Georgia's performance is it ne- there was never a moment where like Georgia or the just the dam broke. It was just sort of this. Georgia is so good right now that if you sort of blink, if you just lose focus for a possession or two, then all of a sudden you look up and you're down 24 points. Like that was what was impressive to me about Georgia is is the way they just sort of it was look that Georgia is is morphing into the Alabama of the East. I mean Georgia fans don't you know I don't know if they like hearing that or not. Oh no! I think that they would very much. I think that anyone in college football would love to hear that they're the Alabama of anything. Yeah, and at some point, you know, it'll just be Georgia. But right now, they're morphing into the Alabama of the East, and that's a very Alabama way to beat. Is this this sort of suffocating, 
uh, boa constrictor effect on teams, and all of a sudden, like you know, a couple three and outs, you know, you you, you get a turnover, turn into a touchdown. You one missed tackle, and that's a long like that's a that's a Miko Hardman's touchdown. Like th- those sort of plays, you can't make those mistakes against Georgia because they're just too good. And so I agree with you. Like this this game felt like Georgia was in control, but it felt like a legitimate SEC East showdown of sorts. But by that second half, like the more the clock ticked, the more opportunities Georgia had to just take advantage of one miscue or another. And they're just too good not to to capitalize on those opportunities. So I, I was impressed based on the fact that like it did look close for a while and then you know you blinked and that, that, there you have it. Uh, Jake from 15 for 18, uh, 194 yards. He did have one interception there in the first half that was pretty bad. Uh, but otherwise, how, how would you grade uh, Fromm's performance? We are going to be talking about the quarterbacks here for a little bit, uh, especially with Clemson coming up. Um, what do you, what'd you think about Fromm? Fields got a little bit of action, but not a lot, uh, especially – well, of course, compared to Austin P, but I would say that I anticipated a few more reps for Justin Fields than what we saw from Columbia. Well, I yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you look up at fifteen, eighteen, and obviously the one pick, but I mean, that's just that's so Jake Fromm to just kind of, you almost don't even notice him, and he's just distributing and look, not like not a lot about his game screams. It makes you want to call up NFL GMs and be like, "Hey, make sure you're watching this guy." But it's he I mean, just is—he's like the perfect quarterback for. He's the perfect Alabama quarterback, right? Like he is the best case scenario for all those old Nick Saban teams that just needed someone to 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 just keep keep the bus on the track. Uh, and and that's a that's a compliment to him that he really is like just. A, a guy that with that you can totally trust to distribute to a lot of really impressive athletes and not screw you up. And he'll play in the NFL, and he'll he'll I, you know hey he may work himself in the first round draft pick. I'm not I'm not trying to limit his ceiling, but it's not he doesn't do it in any sort of flashy kind of way. Um, he it was interesting because we have from this game uh, like the the Mecole Hardman just throw him on a slant and it, and if you deliver it in the right position he's gone it's the it's the it is one of the most simple uh aspects of the Georgia offense and yet he ends up running it up for like what six catches 100 yards and a score yeah well the one where he um i guess it was like was this i feel like it was like a bubble screen or something where or, or maybe it was just a i i can't remember how he caught the ball but where he basically outran it was just like a quick, you know, inside screen. But he, he basically outran the the safety, outran the angle, and then the safety got a got a handful of jersey, and he just sort of ran through it. That to me was probably the signature play of the game because it was just our athletes just out athleted your out athlete, and that's where we are right now. We're we're better athletes than you guys at South Carolina, and you may you may. You know, you may have Debo Samuel, and you may want you know, who's who feels good talking a lot of a lot of junk week before, but ultimately eleven on eleven, one on one, like our athletes are still better than yours, 
and uh, and you got you still got some work to do uh, to, to to match up with us in that way. And ultimately, like that's what the SEC is about traditionally, is just who's got the athletes, who's got the freaks of nature, and usually it's LSU and Alabama, and now Georgia's in that mix too. And so I think that that's 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 starting to be. A telling sign right now speaking of freaks of nature um number one if there were a lot of really costly injuries i think that we saw in week two and every injury has a cost no doubt there, no injury has a benefit um I, andrew thomas goes down helped off the field i'm sure that after undergoing tests we'll we'll receive news of either you know best case scenario a, a sprain a hyperextension worst case scenario it could be something that requires surgery but speaking of freaks your boy Cade Mays got burn in his absence and good golly that boy looks big that young human being looks very large and comfortable on an SEC field man yeah um that's a he is a huge dude and that's I think that's what is the most if you're a Georgia fan, I think the thing that's most exciting about this roster is that there's no end in sight on the offensive line. And they're going to be 6'4", 330-plus for the next four years. Yeah, and, and if you as long as you keep Sam Pittman around, I mean, that guy is proving that he is one of the best in the country. I mean, he, he's, he has already proven it, but, you know, he is – he continues to prove he's one of the best in the country at developing that position. So he's getting these big old dudes and he's developing them. And I think that that's, I mean, that's when you got to, that, that's as, that's as encouraging as anything. Cause you can find defensive freaks on the uh, defensive line. I think it's a little bit tougher to find offensive linemen. And right for right now, at least you've got like a whole room full of softwares and freshmen that are really good. Hmm. Um, elsewhere in SEC action, ACC SEC action. One of the one of the biggest one of the biggest games of the night. A game that was incredibly intense. Well, let's let's go back to questions answered and uh, or or more questions. Uh, let's start with Clemson at the quarterback position. Do you have more questions, or do you feel like you have a comfortable read with what Clemson is doing with the quarterback position right now? Whew. Uh, I have, I don't know, man. Like I, 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 in some ways I left feeling like Kelly Bryant gave me a little more confidence. I did too. I, and, and the idea that Kelly Bryant can win that game. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and look, I think that speaks to a bigger point here that we're calling it that game. I think that's the, the biggest story of that game is that Texas A&M looked, looked really good. Mm. Like, the, the biggest story of that game is that was the showing that South Carolina was supposed to give give us. Like that was a that felt like the best football game between two good football teams that we've seen so far this year. I would agree, uh, absolutely. You know, and so that like is, I mean, I, I I can't. There's few losses that are more that have to, that are more encouraging than that one to a fan base. Because Texas A&M had opportunities to win it, and it wasn't even like like they didn't blow it. They just they, that was just a really good game with what looked like two really good teams, and just one had to lose. And I think the fact that Texas A&M is just even in a position right now where we're like praising Kelly Bryant for for make for winning the game, 
is is exciting. The do you give Jimbo Fisher does Jimbo Fisher get deserved credit for a strong performance from Kellen Mond? Because that's like you, 430 yards, career high, absolutely three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, he made some, he made some some pretty gutsy throws. He made some great, uh, great job extending the play. I thought that his receivers, uh, Rogers and Buckley, did a good job of just going up and, and getting some balls for him. Because there's a, uh, there, I just want to ask your opinion on that because there's an interesting wrinkle to last night that goes back to the Jimbo Dabo uh, rivalry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that, I thought that, that, that gave me a lot of enthusiasm for what this means from more than just a, um, program building recruiting perspective with Jimbo Fisher there. Like that was a good, I think, insight into what Jimbo can bring to the program on the field because Kellen Mond looked, looked so improved and so comfortable playing the position of quarterback, not just making throws, but playing the position and seeing the field. And like, I think that was to me, like you can already tell a difference and you can already see the improvement. And I think that that's, again, it's just uh, the way Jimbo Fisher does it is so substantive. Like it's not just sort of this, Hey, we're going to put up big points on in this simple offense where we're just bombing it. It's just, it, it might take a little time, but they're doing it through just like the hard work and just understanding things and learning. And like, I, I'm, I was very impressed with that. I mean, shoot, he put up 420 or something on like a Clemson defense that never does that. So, so. it is the most amount of passing yards that has been given up uh, by the a Clemson defense since Jimbo did it with J- with Jameis. He's got I, – I think that Jimbo's just got uh, a card of plays that work against Brent Venables. And I will be curious – I'm not doubting Kellen Mond, but I will be curious to see uh, if those kinds of performances passing the ball are replicated throughout the season against the rest of the opposition. The other piece of this, which is – uh, a more questions statement, like talking about, you know, questions answered to more questions. I've got some questions about Clemson's pass coverage. Uh, I saw a comment from a Clemson writer who said, uh, this game will let you know why uh, Clemson is targeting so many defensive backs in the 2019 class. That right now, while they have unbelievable talent and depth in the defensive front at cornerback, and then I think uh, 11 Kayvon Wallace is a strong safety, but I really kind of consider him the way he plays uh, not as much of a, I don't know. I, I just, I think that there is, there are going to be players, there are going to be individual wide receivers and quarterbacks who are going to get matchups where if they can get enough time against that nasty Clemson defensive front, then they're going to be able to make some plays. And in that is just a little bit like I knew that there were going to be weaknesses or places where you could attack Clemson defensively that they weren't going to be uh, absolutely hands down this you know eight point per game juggernaut but that is where it is and now I've got some questions as to you know who else on the schedule might be able to pick that apart yeah I mean that's I think that's the 
that's the bigger question here is like what all right so their schedule who else can pick it apart you know like have they is that the only team that really provides that kind of threat to them like i guess i mean i don't think we have any faith that florida state can pick it apart no okay i mean uh i mean i think there's as much of a chance south carolina can like there's re- like that's a if that's your weakness you got a pretty you got pretty smooth sailing unless i mean look <laughs> maybe hey maybe you're scared syracuse is going to do something or, or oh yeah you know maybe you're i don't know maybe nc state can but look it's just not that it's not that imposing of a schedule if if you've got some issues on the back end to me I, not, nothing about that schedule scares me on that front yeah um anything what about trevor lawrence any other big uh big clemson takeaways for you t higgins is sick yeah yeah but you know what i think Ke- i think kelly bryant just just in in the in like probably the most likely spot for him to get overtaken of the season I think he may have just held Trevor Lawrence off. We're going to see Trevor Lawrence all year, but I feel like by the time the playoffs come around, Kelly Bryant will still be our starter, starting quarterback after after last night. I've seen some of the most talented athletes fail because they lacked one essential ingredient, confidence. Without it, everything else goes to waste. It'll make or break any athlete. And the same is true with life off the field too, like with moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips its customers with as much confidence as possible to make their moves successful. Well, how do they do it? They do it by offering new and cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Every truck undergoes a multi-point inspection, plus you'll get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. So whether you're moving across the country or just even across uh, just across the state, Penske Truck Rental will help you move with confidence. And now it's time for Teams on the Move, and uh, we're going to be focusing on the Ohio State Buckeyes because the Ohio State Buckeyes are currently in a position where they are sitting behind uh, both Alabama, all of Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia, but they are getting a first place vote in the coaches' poll. They are starting to gather momentum, and so I will ask you: Do you foresee in the next couple weeks Ohio State starting to put together a case of being uh, one of the top teams in the country? And certainly, as we are talking about teams on the move here, uh, noting that they will be playing against TCU in its final game without Urban Meyer next week in week three. Yeah, I think Ohio State is, I mean, this is, the fact that they're going to Texas uh, to play TCU, uh, the TCU, the fact that TCU went, took care of business against SMU and, and, and sort of ran them out the building, um, that's going to be a legitimate test. And I think what we've seen out of Dwayne Haskins, you can make a case Dwayne Haskins is the best quarterback in college football right now. Yeah. Um, and we, the defense is just sort of, you know, it's second nature. We know what we're getting there. But this offense looks to be like we had long – or I think you were on my, on my side with this, but like even last year, I was like, this team, this, this offense is going to be better when they don't have JT Barrett. Yep. When they have Dwayne Haskins, this offense is going to look better. And so far, so good. And so we'll find out. But uh, I mean, they're, they're already, a, I mean, they're going to be number three in my, in my ranking. One, uh, one Alabama, two Georgia, three Ohio State to me right now. Wow. Ohio State ahead of Clemson? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think so. Um, what do you? What do you think about the like as as you're starting to handicap that Ohio State 
TCU game? I mean, how do how do you see it turning out? That's us hard, man. This TCU is such a scrappy bunch. Like I really when when they're playing SMU, one thing about that team is like those dudes, they've got some edge. Like those guys are constantly just prodding and needling the opponent. Like they I think they've got some they've got a little bit of that like chip on their shoulder edge to them. And they've still got some athletes too. I mean, the they've got athletes in the backfield. Um, guys like Jalen Rager uh, and uh, uh, our boy from Louisiana, the punt returner and slot guy, who I'm blanking on his name, who's just a stud. Kamate uh, Turpin. Turpin. Kamate yeah. Turpin. He blew that game open. I mean, those guys can can go against anybody. So I, I think this is a. I still think they could win the Big 12. Like that, I think they have that kind of ceiling for TCU. So this is, I think, a legitimate, like, big time matchup. And then a win could get them uh, moving on up in the polls. And that is Teams on the Move, brought to you by Penske Truck Rentals. Uh, again, we thank Penske Truck Rentals for their support of this podcast. They do have the cleanest and safest trucks on the road. Don't forget about those un- unlimited miles on one-way rentals, whether you're moving across the country or whether it's just across the city or the state. Penske Truck Rentals is the cleanest, safest way to go. It is on the move, and you get to move with confidence i texted you barton yesterday and uh i i claimed i wanted to lead the show off uh with uh the colorado nebraska game and i i apologize that we had to wait till the other side of our our wonderful uh you know the the other side of the podcast the this this second half but i i want to say first of all listeners you should have. You should stick around to the very end of every podcast, because Barton let a balloon fly into the air. Rose at the very end of the lock show. Yeah, yeah. You that's said, right. "I just want to put this out into the ether." Colorado against Nebraska, and sure enough, Stephen Montez here to play. Um, again, we've mentioned a couple injuries. Adrian Martinez hurt. That's not good at all. Uh, Andrew Bunch, who we learned about from Barton during all of the preseason, you know, walk-on player. Um, we he comes in. It's not the start that Scott Frost wants. It is an incredible win for Colorado, especially in terms of you know the trajectory that this year's team is on based on its expectations. What I mean, what do you think? Uh, what are the the big takeaways from you? From like, I mean, we had missed kicks, we had turnovers. It, it felt like the game was being played, yes, between some spread teams, but it was still really, really physical. It was a little bit wacky. It was it was one of those games that I was watching and being like, man, I love this dumb sport kind of games. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, it was awesome, man. And it was – I mean, look, th- frankly, this game went out about how I expected. Like the, any sort of dis- discouragement about the Nebraska program right now is misplaced, I think. I think the – I think Colorado's a really good team. I think they came in there as a really good team and have one of the best quarterbacks maybe in college football, Steven Montez, and certainly one of the best receivers in college football in LaVisca Chenault. And a, a team that's – how I don't – I mean, Mike McIntyre's been there for a minute now. What is he, five years in? Uh, and that's – like they were – I thought that they were going to be pretty good this year. And so then they would go out and they have a good game and, and – 
look, whoever won, it was going to be close, and they squeeze it out. Um, but I think Nebraska, you got to be encouraged. I was encouraged their defense was, was pretty decent. I was encouraged that their offense clicked quickly. And look, if, you, if there's anything to be worried about, certainly it's the fact that Adrian Martinez got hurt. But more so of that, just the fact that you know behind Andrew Bunch, then you literally have nothing. And so you're one injury away. Like I don't know what the latest is on what his injury is, but if Andrew Bunch is your starter moving forward, then now you're really in a bind because he's got to stay healthy. Um, but hey, man, Andrew Bunch, walk-on quarterback comes in cold into the game to try to win it. He looked pretty smooth. He, he gave he gave them a chance, um, which made it all the more entertaining. But I, I thought that was just great football. Two two pretty good teams that are going to beat some teams this year. Yeah, and that was you know we weren't asking for uh, Texas A and M Clemson at that point in the day. We just wanted right. something that was going to be a, a little bit more entertaining uh, than what we were getting elsewhere. And I I think that you know uh, you, questions answered or do you have more questions? I got nothing answered on Nebraska and the the you know where we are on Adrian Martinez. It does you know cause a, a bit of hesitation to make any kind of big commitment? You know he was a great rushing threat, uh, but he was also a little bit of a freshman too, right? I mean he he showed he made some he had one bad interception. He was trying to extend some plays that led to some fumbles. I I think that I saw every bit of the high ceiling and every bit of the freshman floor. That might be the Adrian Martinez experience, which Scott Frost might be buying in now, knowing you're going to get through that, thinking that by the middle of year two and into year three, you're dealing with a guy who can compete for conference championships. Yeah, but look, I don't think it's not accurate to say this is the best case scenario because, well, yeah, I guess best case scenario is Nebraska comes out there and looks like a you know, Big Ten champion contender. I don't know. But like, I think this is a very good case scenario. Like This is... This is what I think we sort of were hoping Nebraska would look like. Yeah, it's not going to be perfect, but they are looking like what I think a optimistic vision of Nebraska would look like to me. Now, maybe we go out and we find out Colorado's not as good as I think they are, and whatever. But I thought that that was a that was a that was the fulfillment of an optimistic vision of Nebraska in Week One with no no warm up game, no nothing, and and they go out there and. In some ways, should have won, but certainly almost won, and 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 uh, against a good, in my opinion, Colorado team. I wish that you could. Uh, I mean, I guess we can call our shots and and just wager our own reputation for whatever that's worth. But like the, I wish I had bought stock in Nebraska against Michigan State prior to the season because now <laughs> I like it even more. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, I'm I've got a. I called a shot that they would beat one of Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, whoever the other, oh, Wisconsin. Certainly, right now it looks like Michigan State's the best, the best bet of those that foursome for Nebraska to beat. But I wouldn't be surprised if they s- steal another one. I mean, they're going to be anxious for a game. They're they're now they're zero and one, should be one and one. Skipped a game week one, skipped a clean win, and 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 a lot of people projected a Colorado win. So if that sort of eight and four hope was going to be true. Uh, this is not a good start to that, but I think that they're going to sneak some wins in down the road that maybe other people didn't didn't see coming. 
Uh, let's stay right there in the Big Ten. Iowa gets a 13-3 win against Iowa State. Uh, I didn't get a lot of time to get eyes on this as I was mostly uh, on Colorado, Nebraska, Georgia, South Carolina, and UNC ECU, which we can choose whether or not we want to talk about that happening. Larry Fedora would like to forget it. Uh, <laughs> Iowa, 13-3 winners here. This was – I saw the commentary from a, a lot of the Iowa, Iowa State real faithful that it was – both teams were Iowing as as hard as they could. <laughs> yeah, it was. But this is, I thought, a, a really fascinating game. Like I think those two teams might be really good. I, I mean, to me, just personnel-wise, Iowa State has playmakers on offense. And that they got shut down the way they got shut down. I think under 200 yards of total offense, maybe, something like that. Like, I think speaks to Iowa's defense as much or more so than anything. And and just watching the game and watching those two teams go at it, like th- those were some hard-hitting, fast, physical football being played. And I I know as, as ugly as it was and if anybody had just was sort of grinding through that game and I, I, I leave that game much less feeling like, oh, God, well, that was some ugly football – and more feeling like God, those 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 defenses can play, and those teams are gonna like. I think both of those teams are gonna cause fits for the rest of their conferences once they get into conference play. Um, so maybe that's a maybe that's a rose colored vi- vision of this game, but I, I like the defense more so than I didn't like the offense in that game. I don't think, and I don't think that when you're saying that it is Iowa Iowa Inc. Uh, I, I think that that's embracing it, right? Sure. I yeah. mean, that's like, no, no, no. I like to see great defense and punts. I mean, that's the Iowa football experience through and through. That's what, I mean, the hanging 55 on Ohio State makes for a great moment and a great uh, a great time for, for all the Hawkeye fans and people who like to chuckle at Ohio State. But hanging 55 on the board ain't what we're used to when it comes to these Iowa football games. I was, I, I was very surprised that – Iowa's defense was able to bottle up David Montgomery the way that they were, and that was a a question answered for me about Iowa's defense. I have more questions about Iowa State, but some of that is also pigeonholed into my bigger questions about uh, the Big Twelve, which we, we we talked about a little bit loosely going into the before we started recording today. I've I just have have I've got a sneaking suspicion that the Big 12 has a muddled middle with very little separation, but also very few teams that you feel confident about uh, betting on them to show up uh, outside of the conference or uh, in a be, be show any kind of consistency across a month, which I guess would mean like a great team. If you're going to be great, even for a month, you've got to be able to show some consistency right there. And I don't know if there's anybody in that, muddled middle of the big 12 which i would say is everybody behind tcu and maybe oklahoma state's at the top of that middle pack but outside of oklahoma and tcu i don't know if there's anybody that i have a good feel for after two weeks in the big 12 agreed and especially this week it was an ugly weekend for the big 12 it wasn't even you don't even really get a lot of style points this weekend usually the big 12 at least they go out swinging and they you know they're putting up a lot of points you're like that's big 12 football man they 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 make you play at, your, at their pace or whatever. This was it wasn't even that pretty. Um, 
But again, like I think this is what's fascinating to me is like Iowa State is, is going to start to shift the the narrative or not the narrative, but the they're, they're, people are going to have to start playing on their terms a little bit too. Like the I mean, balance game, of the balance of not the balance of power, but the play it on their terms. I like that. I mean, three that game had 359 yards of total offense combined total (laughs) like that's that's i hadn't seen that stat yet you know and that's that's a i I mean nate stanley isn't perfect but i mean he's an nfl quarterback without a doubt and they held him to 166 yards you know they held some pretty like decent running backs to you know 68 and 25 yards rushing and like it's I don't think those offenses are inept. We'll find out. I could be just incredibly wrong on that, but I, I think that's. I think that it's going to be fun to watch Iowa State team try to play. Uh, even a just hey, let's just say Oklahoma. Like that game to me is is really interesting because they're they are they're going to make Oklahoma get in the mud more than Oklahoma's used to. Uh, Penn State fifty one, Pitt six. I have no questions about Penn State's offense, but I didn't come in with any questions about Penn State's offense. So my question for you is whether you saw a response from Penn State's defense given some of the concerns that we had shared both in our overreactions and also in some of the preview leading up to this pit game. I mean, I don't this is just like an ugly, nasty, gross game that Pitt got out classed in like they just didn't have like once look my big takeaway from this game was I think Sean Fitz from 24-7 our Penn State site posted this transcript from the from the post-game press conference um the question was to Pat Narduzzi do you have a problem with their last touchdown Narduzzi said hey you know what I coach pit football I don't coach for anybody else that's on them you've got to sleep at night it's just where we are right now. We'll have another shot. We'll have another shot. It ain't over, Coach. It's it's over. It's over. You just you just like it's over. You just lost. It's over. And in fact, after next year, that might be your last chance at Penn State in a long, long time. If not, you know who knows when. And so, to, to me, my big thing about this is like Pat Narduzzi has has tried so hard to make this into a rivalry. And James Franklin has fought it, but when the but when the games take place, James Franklin feeds into it by by running challenging up. a fumble up forty points or, or running up the score or whatever. And I think that's awesome. But Pat Narduzzi, if you're going to make this into a rivalry, then you you have to sort of deal with the consequences of losing this rivalry game you have now created. And it looks bad when he's. Out here trying to, you know, huff and puff about the way James Franklin handled the the games. Like, look, man, this is your your bed. I, I think I think it I think it makes the whole pit program look bad now, and looks like they sort of they've created this expectation that they can't live up to. And now we're in year three Mm-mm. with Pat Narduzzi, and it's not looking good right now. So I, I'm just I, I think this is a this is a impressive showing by Penn State but I think as much as anything it's more just of an unimpressive showing by Pitt like there's just a bunch of special teams issues and bobble snaps and penalties and like 
you know, I think this is just a, a better coached team taking care of business in a sloppy setting. It wasn't a good look for Pat Narduzzi. What was the what was the call that led to him getting the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on him? Into yeah, the, into the first uh, like half. a substitution penalty or something. Yeah, they they it was Pitt's defense got hit with a substitution penalty. Then Narduzzi goes and huffs and puffs over it. Ends up being twenty five yards for Penn State right before halftime. And I just and you know, you I you mentioned some of the uh, procedural issues, some of the penalties. And I, I, when you said outclassed, I was trying to think about it. Cause yeah, I need to take into consideration that it looked gross. There was like nothing about that football right. game that looked particularly, uh, n- nothing about the play. I, I think I can take away, you know, nothing about the statistics. I feel like are going to be necessarily reflective of what we're going to see moving forward though. Many thanks to Penn state running it up and still magically cashing that over for me. Uh, as fifty one fifty six does cover fifty six. Um, look, Pitt. Pitt looks like it was the uh, had a little bit too much fun at the wedding, right? right. You know, just just kind of showing its ass a little bit. And yeah. I and I just yes, I I like that Pitt program. They've been cool to me. the The staff has always been nice. I got to write a feature about James Conner two years ago before he. Uh, had his season after the return from ca- cancer and I enjoyed, you know, getting to see that, that group and that family. And there were certainly high expectations and high hopes for what players like Quadri Olison, the, the running back. Now they called him a one touch in high school because he was a, you know, such an explosive playmaker, Jordan Whitehead, who was an ACC freshman of the year, but then has suffered with some injuries and some discipline issues along the way. You know, we've seen, uh, we've, we've seen the players come through there and certainly there are NFL players that are coming out of the pit program, but just the whole organization, the way it was handled, the trash talking, the penalties it just didn't, didn't end up looking good. Like if, if I was going into that thinking that this was going to be like 2016, Penn state might win, but Pitt was going to run it up and it was going to be a fun back and forth. I walk out of it being like, man, Pitt's at the. Pitt's at the bottom of the ACC Coastal right now, hanging out with Carolina, Virginia, and they're playing rock, paper, scissors to see who's going to have a chance to be fighting for a bowl game in November. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they got to clean it up. That's not – they just got to clean it up. I, I, you know, Pitt, there's there, – like you said, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of room for someone to sleep to the bottom uh, of the ACC right now. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm waiting for someone to, to prove that they're like, I, I was th- thinking Pitt could be a team that maybe surprised us this year. It don't look like that based on yesterday. So I'm, I'm waiting to find out who's going to surprise us in that ACC. How about Duke Northwestern? Was it everything you wanted? Yeah. 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 I mean, talk about a game. I watch, I watched as much Duke Northwestern as any game. And yet like just, in classic Duke Northwestern fashion, like I don't have much to say about it. I mean, I think the just, I think the loss of Daniel Jones is damning. Yeah, I mean, I guess do we know what how how serious that is? No, but Duke fans are not hopeful. And even that's, and even David, yeah, David Cutcliffe in the post uh, post game interviews and in his post game press conferences was getting a little choked up, and he was talking about. Uh, he said, "I want to. I don't. I want. Don't want to get it twisted. I'm happy to get this win here." But we took some losses today that are going to be hard, and I am, 
I am concerned that the way they were holding on for dear life, which by the way, like Drew Jordan and that Duke defensive line, they got after it and they were winning battles all over the place against Northwest Northwestern's offensive line. And they're not going to be able to do that against everybody, but I think they can do that against most of the teams on their schedule. Joe Giles Harris is absolutely awesome. That, that group can keep Duke in games, but I am concerned about the ceiling for this Duke offense if it is with Quentin Harris, who is a gifted runner, though, and but definitely not uh, the potential NFL prospect that Daniel Jones is. No doubt. Yeah, that I didn't think about that. Um, that storyline, and that's pretty important. That's pretty important for me because I've got a uh, – and uh, all due respect, Daniel Jones, I hope he's great, but I also have a win total to worry about. And that's uh, that 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 concerns me a little bit on that on that win total for the first time this year. <laughs> that that's that makes me think. E, hope they can hope, hope they can piece this together because he he really was sort of the the basis, honestly, of my pick because that guy's going to be able to lead him to some wins. Right, you're you're thinking the year three Daniel Jones is going to show some of that progression that we've been expecting, and for. You know, just the the conversation purposes. I will say that what I've seen from Daniel Jones has not been perfect. You know, no, no, it's not. It, it hadn't been. It's not been some big explosion into that that you know enough first round NFL draft pick stratosphere. Um, but that makes for an interesting game at Baylor this next week if Daniel Jones didn't play in, and that then suddenly that even though Baylor hadn't been overly impressive in his two wins. Uh, you know that's that that gives me some op, some um, you know it make, makes me lean towards the Bears to figure that one out. Maybe Duke unders becomes the play. Yeah, just just a little wildcat quarterback stuff. Yeah, uh, almost. Which remind it's, it's a little bit like maybe that's a good segue there. I mean, Florida. Ooh. <laughs> like Kentucky, basically. When they've been good, it's been when sort of Benny Snell has been a Wildcat quarterback. And it's almost like they go and beat Florida by just get, like letting Terry Wilson be sort of a glorified Wildcat quarterback, and we're just going to grind this thing out. And credit to them, man. They were the better team. They were just better than Florida. Isn't that weird? It is weird, but I guess should it be? I mean, they were sort of the better team last year, too. Yeah, but on paper, personnel-wise, Florida doesn't have any injury issues yet. They're not on their, like, third-string tackle or, you know, trotting out uh, a running back who, you know, is a, a journeyman graduate transfer. I mean, this is, on paper, the same Florida offense that you could talk yourself into Dan Mulling turning into one of the more explosive offenses in the SEC. And Kentucky, salty on defense. You're going to expect it. But they went on the road and pulled that thing out. And I I hadn't gotten a chance. This is on my list for a rewatch today. But I, I feel like when I was checking in on that game and when I was certainly checking in on the conversation like even if Kentucky, even if Florida had won that game, there was nothing about that performance that made Gators fans feel good. No, it's a it's a huge splash of cold water in our face that we need to temper our expectations for Florida. Dan Mullen, it can't just wave a magic wand to make that offense good again. Uh, you know, I think. Look, and I, remember I talked last week. I just, you know how the, the nugget I said about Tennessee not having any senior prospects that the NFL cares about right now. It's the same NFL scout I talked to, same conversation last week. 
you know, talking at SEC, like there's a bunch of guys on that Florida defense that the NFL is very intrigued by. Um, that's a, that is a very worthwhile stop right now for NFL uh, scouts, pr- primarily on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Cole Kublik has told us how, how much he likes their offensive line. Uh, I mean, there are I – don't, I don't think anyone's – you know, I, I, it was hard for us to sort of believe it, but I do think that this, this may speak to just Kentucky being maybe an overlooked team – not to, not to be some sort of East contender, but just to be a much more maybe competent than anybody really gave him credit for. So between Kentucky and Kentucky's win, I would say, you know, uh, without a doubt more impressive, but Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, how do you rank those three right now? I think, uh, man, I mean, Vanderbilt's it's, it's creating a little bit of Vandy looks too. solid. Yeah, I mean, I, I. That's a tough. That's a that's a great question. I don't know, man. I, I think, think Tennessee might be last. I know. <laughs> I, I I lean Tennessee being last of those three. Yeah, and I and I don't I can't figure out the rest of the order. And here's the other one. Here's the other one to throw into there. I that I could envision a scenario where Missouri is above all of them. Oh, I, I did not include Missouri because I think Missouri could be above. Florida and or South Carolina. The East got really funky this weekend, man. Yeah. The East like, got I mean, really it, it funky. Turned, it turned right back into sort of whatever the, I mean, Georgia than everybody else. And I think that everybody else pool suddenly is a total cluster where who, who the hell knows? Yeah. And, and which makes hey, that's fun. That makes our job fun. That makes the, the season, I think fun to where look and, and, I think South Carolina probably is still maybe a notch above the others, but there, there, that you know, some doubt has crept in about that perspective too. And so, to me, every game in the East now that doesn't involve Georgia is is going to be fascinating. Man, I just realized I was wearing a South Carolina shirt when Parker and I were walking through the neighborhood. No wonder Did I got they? some funny looks. Yeah. Wow, buddy. Really proud after that loss, huh? <laughs> hey, repping in, the, repping in the hard times, man. Yeah, that's exactly. I didn't even think about it. I was like, oh, this is a nice dry fit shirt. Forgot about that. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's go to Mississippi State from the SEC East to the SEC West. Nick Fitzgerald comes in. Kylan Hill, a little bit of a revelation for me. Did you see his emergence coming? I loved Kylan Hill in high school. We had him ranked really high. He, he flashed last year as a true freshman. He's going to be a dude for them. Uh, my big takeaway from this game, though, is Bob Shoup's getting his mojo back. Like, at, you know, two years at Tennessee coaching bad defenses after a career of coaching great defenses, and now all of a sudden he's back in Mississippi State, and it's just like it's, it's like it's like there's oxygen in that in that defensive coordinator's box again. And because Mississippi State is flat flying around, yeah, like those dudes are getting after it. They're blitzing like every down. There's a bunch of speed, a bunch of edgy, physical football players, and I, I just, it, you know, it's it's just got to be such a, I don't know, freeing feeling to, <laughs> to like know you're coaching good defense again and have guys that are playing hard like that. Because I think that was the big thing at Tennessee. 
is, you know, you guys, guys were kind of quitting guys weren't didn't, you know, they just didn't have any sort of competitive juice to them. And whatever you say about this Mississippi state team, they got some edge. Like they've got some juice to them. They've got some athletic. I mean, they, they play hard and that's, what's sort of fun for me to watch on, uh, on that Mississippi state team is just how active and physical that defense looks as, uh, as Alabama put a spanking on Arkansas State, and as I think Auburn, I I refuse to really get too many takeaways from Auburn against Alabama State. Uh, pass, pass. I'll see them later. But uh, I'll I'll throw. Let's say Alabama, without a doubt, number one. How would you order Texas A and M, LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn? I st- I still think. Look, I preseason I, I picked Mississippi State two. I still like them too. I still, I think, I, I, you know, I, that was a crazy nighttime atmosphere environment for Texas A&M. Let's see what they do on a, you know, on an afternoon in the road. And that's another, like I was thinking this too, when we were talking A&M, that's a little bit disappointing that that's probably like, they do get LSU at home at the end of the year, but it's unfortunate that like Alabama, Mississippi State, Auburn, none of those go to to Kyle Field because those could be trip up spots if they did. Um, but all I have to say, I still think I probably like it. Mississippi State, Auburn, maybe A and M, then LSU. Yeah. I still I still need convincing on LSU. I think I still need convincing on LSU too. And that's going to start. Um, you know, we'll be spending this week previewing the uh, SEC on CBS game of the week. This week's LSU Auburn. I mean, how yep. sweet is that? Yeah, this is good. we got a good we got a good slate this weekend. Um, I would rank them: Auburn, Mississippi State, Texas A and M, LSU. And I am probably putting too much value on Calevon Chasen, but maybe I'm not. Yeah, that's a fair thought. I mean, I didn't even think about that, but I think that's a look when you're splitting hairs between those those. That's a that's a sack fumble that might not take place or otherwise might. You know, I mean, like it is, it is in my mind, a minimum of like four disruptive havoc plays per game. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it'll, it'll, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. Any, uh, any other sec notes? Uh, just, just the Missouri. I mean, I got, well, Hey, Arkansas could be a long year for those guys. Oh yeah. Losing to Colorado state's not good. A team that's been getting torched. Yeah. By everybody, I don't know. Maybe it was bad weather. I didn't watch that game. Maybe it was pouring down, so I don't want to. But they, I just looked at the stats. They only threw for like, well, shoot. No, I'm not even going to say that because I know Colorado State threw for almost 400. <laughs> so, and and Arkansas couldn't couldn't top 200. So it just it could be a long year. I didn't watch that game, but that was a that was a score that caught my eye. And then another game I didn't watch, but score caught my eye. Look, I I, I still think Missouri is. Is, is a team to, you know, they're sneaky, man. They, they might be really good this year. Um, yeah, that was not the Wyoming cover I thought was coming. Oh, no. No, not at all. Uh, did you see uh, Houston? Uh, all right, let me rephrase this. I saw a lot of different takes on what the Arizona-Houston game was going to be. I saw there was, uh-oh, you know, this is a body clock game. I saw, oh, this is a revenge game for Kevin Sumlin, or, hey, this is a Houston revenge game, or trying to twist all these different ways. And they played that ugly, ugly game, uh, I think it was last year, or maybe that was Texas Tech-Houston again last year. But I just, anyway, 
Did you see Houston thumping Arizona going into Saturday? Uh, I mean, as it was happening, it wasn't that shocking to me. Like, I, I don't think – I think Arizona had show, shown more of a an inclination to that happening than Houston had to this point because Houston – like, Rice – the Rice game last week worried me a little bit because Rice didn't feel like they should be that good yet. But and, you love you love the way Rice looks now. <laughs> it's it's fun to, it is fun to see, but they lost another one to Hawaii. Uh, but I just like they Rice moved the ball on Houston, and Arizona at least in the first half couldn't get much going, and so that was the surprise. Like I could have seen a shootout as it was playing out. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't because I still thought preseason Houston would win the AAC. So I like Houston's pieces, but I think this is just a this is a bad look for Noel Mazzoni and Kevin Sumlin, and this is, you know, I'm I'm going to resist getting back on my Ken Niamatololo pedestal. <laughs> um, I'm going to resist. I've got no questions answered. I'm going to resist getting on a BYU train after a loss to Cal. That was pretty ugly. Hey, Cal's good. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> they, they almost lost it to. I mean, they they didn't blow out UNC. Who knows? Who knows what to think about all these all these games? I'll say the one that I do think told us a, that that I backed off of. Now, how about Notre Dame barely beating Ball State and Brandon Wimbush looking like Brandon Wimbush again? I know. That was disappointing. That was very disappointing. That's uh, that one. That one was a game where. I think that even like Tom was like classic spot for a, a letdown in the Notre Dame schedule. And so it almost probably gets overlooked for the damning evidence that it might've produced, you know, like we're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. of course they were going to have a little bit of a letdown. They won. Right. All right. No big deal, but it might be a big deal. And Brandon Wimbush might not be, he might not be much more than even your fictionalized idea of what Brandon Wimbush could be. Well, it, it makes me rethink what happened in that Michigan game because ultimately what really did happen, he threw up like three big deep balls where he just said, go up and get it, receiver, and who, who just like beat smaller DBs, and then, they, and then they just sort of took it to the house, just sort of reeled it in, brought it back into the barn, and just you know let, weathered the storm. So what did we really learn out of Brandon Wimbush? You know? So like that's my... That's sort of my, my, my worry now. But they'll carry that top 10 ranking till they lose. Yep. Yep. Top 10 wins. Yay. Um, let's see. South Florida 49, Georgia Tech 38. It was a really fun game. I was on the Bs. It did not work out for me. But I think that I was probably um, impressed by Georgia Tech for the fact that they got, you know, they spotted USF got two kickoff return touchdowns right there at the very beginning. But, uh, you know, they still battled back and it was only a few mistakes right at the end where South Carolina was South Florida was able to pull away. Do you feel like you learned anything about the Bulls from this matchup? Just they uh, know it's the same old team, just that they can play in a shootout and win one. They got team speed. They got speed all over the place. Yeah, they do have speed. And they and and they got one of the best returners in the country. Clearly, that dude's a true freshman. Yep. Uh, he he can go, he can scoot. So that's that was um, that was interesting. I think down the road, the old USF coach 
maybe had the more interesting day even. What, what, what's how, how far gone are you on Willie Taggart at this point? Are you still trusting in him after almost losing to Sanford? That was so bad. They keep on looking bad, man. Why can't they run the football on Sanford? It's not Cam like they, they, look, those they're, they, I don't care if they're playing their backup offensive lineman. Like they should be able to run the ball on an FCS team, right? Yep. So that's worrisome. A little worrisome. The Texas can't handle Tulsa. Uh, but you know, ultimately, there's some work to do for some of these blue bloods. All right, UCLA, Florida State at Syracuse. Carrier Dome, noon kickoff. What are you thinking? Is that this weekend? That's this weekend. I wonder what the line is. I, what's the over-under? 74? I don't know. Do you trust do you, do you trust uh, Florida State? To, I don't know, man. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm inclined to take Syracuse there, but I'm not, I, I would stay away from that because – I, I, I know that to be a popular play. I know that Western Michigan got in a shootout with Syracuse in Week One and was held to a late field goal in Week Two against Michigan. Yeah, but all these all these transitive property games are misleading. You know, Central Michigan hung in there with Florida and then goes and loses at home to Kansas. <laughs> you know, like we're we're only two games in and already the transitive property is totally blowing our mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, Syracuse, Northern Illinois, at Louisville. See that's and the, here right, here is why I cannot. I'm not so far gone on Florida State because for me, so far gone. Because what was the win total at the beginning of the year? Seven, seven and a half. I think so. Yeah, so far gone is finishing five and seven, and I think Northern Illinois at home, which by the way is going to be tough. Utah had its hands full with Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois' defense is salty. That was a great undercall by Tom. Yeah, that was a great undercall. Uh, Northern Illinois at Louisville, not ready to give that to the cards at all. Um, Oh, crap. Yeah, I'm out of games. (laughs) Yeah, I've only got them winning about two or three more games. I mean, I think the key for Florida State is just like, look – all right, we got a baseline that's bad. Now, how you know, do they get better and how much better? That's what it's all about. So it's all about improvement. We got a low, low floor that we have started at, and we got to figure out if they get better. What's, uh, what do you think is the – is there national interest in the tire fire in Chapel Hill? I don't know, man. Because uh, I'm, I'm a, not even that interested in it. Yeah, I'm afraid that it's uh, it's it's very apathetic. It is, which makes it all, all the more reason that maybe the the clock has run out on Larry Fedora. Because I don't even really. It's not really an interesting story to me. Yeah, they're just they're just not a good football team. And hey, look, they got a whole bunch of suspensions right now. And once those guys come back, and I don't think Chad, I don't think it's going to matter. Maybe not. But it's a weird deal where like. UNC's bad, and there's more interesting things to talk about. UNC's bad. Fedora's been uh, a quote machine and not in the great way ever since his comments at the ACC football kickoff about football being under attack. I mean, did did you see the quotes leading up to ECU where he was talking about not remembering uh, losing to them 70-41? to 
No, I didn't see that. He said, I don't remember that. Coach, it was 2014. You were the head coach. That's right. I is, did is there that, anything actually. you can take away from I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. You can remember that, but I choose not to remember that. He said that and then went and got dunked on. He's 0-3 against ECU. He's led ACC. He's led UNC to an ACC championship game, but he's 0-3 against ECU and has not beaten an in-state opponent till no, since November 28th, 2015. ECU's done some Kansas stuff, too. ECU is not out here impressing people. Like ECU, that's a, that's a coach that was, was one of the most likely firees of the of this year scotty montgomery's gonna have a street named after him after doing that i know uh yeah i mean it's and so this was one comment and again i asked i waited and i asked you because i do think that nationally it is apathetic but locally it's obvious it's just tearing up anything that any anybody that wants to talk about it is is more than happy to give you an earful and i i think that it is when he expresses that kind of apathy and then the team looks equally as apathetic, it drives the fans crazy. Right. Well, to be fair, like it's, and he's not caught, in his eyes, it's like, I got to have a short memory. I got to, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach. We got to look forward. We can't dwell on, you know, so he's not looking at it as, as apathy, but when you go and lose, it gets spun as apathy. And I just think he is continually, continuously crushing himself with these, unnecessary comments in the media just give us let's let's maybe just take a break this week coach and just give us some coaching cliches just give us some just give us the most canned answers you can and just let's go win some games yeah and they have so they haven't even had their home opener yet and they're 0 and 2 coming off a 40 to 19 loss to ECU Ugh. and you know who they're playing in their home opener no. Central Florida. <laughs> Mackenzie Milton is about to put 50 on the board. That's, that is, yeah, that's a, for a coach that doesn't have a good memory and didn't know who was on their schedule to, to wake up this morning and, and see UCF coming to town. That's, uh, that's, uh, I couldn't have sat well at breakfast. L- listen, all of the cutups that he's watching as we record right now on Sunday afternoon are going to tell him it's going to be bad. Like just touchdowns, UCF cut ups from the 2018 season are just touchdown plays. Yeah, one UCF, after another. Yeah, yeah. UCF and Boise State are uh, are doing their best to rep the group of five and say we we need a shot. No, That's going to be a big one this weekend. We got time to break down games later, but with Boise State, Bo- Oklahoma Boise, State, Boise, Oklahoma State is going to be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. We'll we'll be sure to give it the the lip service it deserves. Um. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, We've got all the midweek shows that you're going to want. We've got the locks coming up at the end of the weekend. So make sure that you are subscribed so that you can get it all delivered to you for $3.99. Barton, thank you very much.